Hello everyone thanks for tuning in to what actually happened I am Sejal Babil and today's episode is going to be rather interesting because it's one of my favorite reading materials it's about the 1991 economic crisis of India It was a historic moment when India adopted the three pillars of a free market capitalist approach as i call it the lpg approach liberalization privatization and globalization the peak of the crisis was after the gulf war with unstable oil prices but it was caused by more than 3 decades of imprudence in this episode we will dwell much deeper into the roots of the structural problems that existed and the economic blunders that occurred which led us to this unfortunate crisis in 1991 we made a trip with destiny and now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge not only or in full measure but very substantially At the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom. This was the eve of independence in 1947, when Jawaharlal Nehru made his historic speech. India had just become free from the British Raj, who ruled us for over 200 years. There was a cult of nationalism that was present in the newborn country, and everyone wanted to take India on a new journey of growth and prosperity. two things were absolutely on everybody's minds especially the political class self-reliance and industrialization that made sense india was just independent and did not want to again be dependent on other nations for its growth but that was a hard thing to imagine as the economy that the british left us with was in shambles As we are all aware of our economy it had been a victim of enormous exploitation at the hands of the british our natural resources iron ore gold mines wealth and manpower were subject to intense exploitation since all the policies that the british framed only promoted their interests india diverged from the path of prosperity first the east india company and later on the british had framed rules to promote commercial crops like tea coffee and tobacco destroying the livelihoods of farmers who were growing indigenous food grains we were merely left as raw material suppliers to the british there was no industry of any form to support us over 85% of the country's population lived in villages where the livelihood was completely dependent on agriculture and more than 70% of the population was living in dire poverty we had to figure out everything from scratch just like japan that i discussed in the last episode we had to build india from ground zero the political leader under the congress which formed the government at that time was highly influenced with the idea of socialism let's understand what socialism is all about socialism is when a population collectively owns and controls the means of production and distributes the end result proportionally in practice however control is usually delegated to the state while the distribution usually comes in the form of underlying social welfare to satisfy everyone's basic needs like housing education and healthcare The end all purpose is to guarantee a level playing field for all members in a society thereby removing class distinctions based on ownership. 
This urge for state control of everything came from the fear that if the economy is left open in a free market system, we would be left vulnerable to the influences of other countries in our decision making and policy through free trade and also increased income inequalities with a capitalist system. The Soviet Union model at that time which was based on socialist doctrines had been a huge success. This encouraged the Indian leaders to choose this model to bring India on the trajectory of growth and equality at par with the world. So the main strategies adopted by the government was a combination of license raj, import substitution, building public sector industries and controlling foreign investment. As ambitious and determined as this plan sounds it was conceived rather naively as a textbook solution without analyzing the nature and requirements of the indian economy at that time we will discuss all these in detail and how it further aggravated the indian economy towards poverty it all started with the industries development and regulation act of 1951 the government therefore became the biggest business house the state acquired monopoly over all big capital intensive businesses like iron and steel telecom air travel railways etc one after the other acts were passed which gave the state more and more control over the economy the government was now in full control it now decided where you could set up businesses how much you could produce to whom you can sell how much you can sell at what price the scale of your business operations and literally every single decision of your business there was absolutely no autonomy given to the private sector as absurd as it sounds today this idea was supported by majority of people including renowned economists at that time As a result, private sector struggled to survive. This was further extended with the introduction of license raj where an entrepreneur who wanted to set up a unit in India required central government approval at every step. Licensing was controlled by the Ministry of Industry. First, the letter of intent was given. then to set up a factory import machinery to have a foreign collaborator to raise equity to import raw material and to take any decision about the business the permission of government was required obtaining a license was not easy at all such a state controlled system gave the ministers lot of leverage against the businesses at every step there was huge corruption involved the system of licenses and permits was meant to ensure the control of state to promote growth the irony is that the state controls retarded growth the government did not have enough resources to play an active role in each and every capital industry it was involved in as a result india had lost many opportunities to give you an idea of the extent to which this hurt the indian economy even today let's talk about the steel industry India with its huge availability of natural resources and surplus labor had a comparative advantage in manufacturing steel after independence. The government resources were not sufficient to operate the industry at the required scale. Understand scale is extremely important to achieve quality and competitive pricing to be profitable. As scales increase, the costs decrease. If private investment would have been allowed the capital outlay would have been full decisions made would have been swift and they would have followed the requirements of the market 
it could have made india one of the steel capitals of the world but because of the restrictions the steel that we made could not match the quality abroad and the japanese eventually captured the world market this happened with a lot of other industries as well import substitution india adopted an inward looking trade policy that is import substitution the policy was simple we were going to substitute the imports of our economy with domestic production this trade policy was applied to almost all sectors of the economy the aim of this policy was to boost domestic production and also protect domestic goods from international competition this will ensure that the domestic companies become competitive in a global arena in a way this policy closed off our economy from the world such a protection of imports was done in two steps the first was tariffs a tariff is like a tax on imports tariffs make imports costlier this in turn will help the production as well as the sale of domestic products and boost domestic industries second was quotas another measure was to impose quotas on imports this means only a specific quantity of goods can be imported and hence the domestic market will have to make up to meet the demand of the customers additionally quotas were also reserved for the small scale industries that is a certain number of products could only be produced by the small scale industries japan also had these policies to promote local industries but they majorly focused on assisting them with capital and technology unlike india where no sort of support was given let me give you an account of how unthoughtful this policy was in india with an amazing account of the cassette industry the cassette industry was reserved for the small scale sector in india under the quota system whereas in other countries this sector was driven by scale and automation by definition a small scale industry could not install machinery worth more than 10 lakh rupees and the cheapest machine available to make cassettes was worth 12 lakh rupees the only way that the machines can now be installed was by undervaluing the asset secondly the number of units a small scale unit could produce was capped at 20000 units in a year but the machine produced 20000 units in just a week with that higher cost of installation this business becomes highly unprofitable this neither let the small scale industry become competitive with the world nor created any employment opportunities for people as a result majority of people were still stuck in agriculture even after 25 years of independence india was struggling with a growth rate of 1.6% compared to other countries like south korea malaysia and singapore at 7% indian economy was operating below its potential and huge masses of people were still living below poverty agriculture The main problem that the policy of the state faced was that it completely sidelined agriculture in its planning. With a large population largely dependent on agriculture, this neglect led to dire consequences in India. Irrigation was based on rainfall, outdated methods of cultivation were still prevalent, and productivity was extremely low. The first 5 year plan had 150 crores allotted for agriculture and the second 5 year plan just had 40 crores. With a growing population, food scarcity became a major issue. This was further aggravated by the frequent famines in India which left over half of the population starving. 
six major famines occurred and a few minor ones in the span of just 25 years even with 70% of our population indulged in agriculture we could not become self sufficient in food therefore india had to now import food grains to suffice its population this often resulted in india pleading western countries like germany and usa to supply food to india Though most of the food grains were given to India as aid, importing food grains was a significant expense of the government. The need of the economy was to support agriculture equally with industry, which was not done by the political class. Fiscal burden. Fiscal imbalances were growing heavily with frequent droughts and heavy borrowing. Debt burden on India was very high. When the expenditure done by the government is more than its revenue this difference is known as fiscal deficit since these deficits had to be met by borrowings the internal debt of government accumulated rapidly the government borrowed to finance imports and it spent most of its revenue earned in paying back interest this made the spending on industry fall further and further leaving it dry of capital investment and incompetent compared to the world industries with no private sector and primitive industries there were no exports and hence no foreign exchange earned all these factors severely impacted india's balance of payment situation to define the balance of payments you would say that it's a record of all the economic transactions between a country and the rest of the world So to put it more simply, the balance of payments is like a giant receipt that shows all the money transfers coming in and out of a country in different areas of the economy within a certain time period. This is a very important indicator of a country's external stability and sheds some light into that country's relationship with the global economy overall. Therefore, when the liabilities keep increasing in a balance of payments account, it is a sign of a troubled economy. external debt was now at 23% and internal debt was at 55% by 1991 india's economy was on a ventilator the gross fiscal deficit of the government rose from 9% to 12% in 1991 the foreign exchange reserves had dried up to a point that india could barely finance 3 weeks worth of imports The invasion of Kuwait by Iraq in 1990 was the tip of the iceberg. India at the time of independence did not have any oil reserves. So to support industrial activity, it had to import oil. The war in Gulf had global economic repercussions and worsened the crisis in India. Oil prices went up so high that India's oil import bill shot up from 280 million dollars to 671 million dollars in just a month. International banks were reluctant to extend additional lines of credit to India. India was on the brink of a balance of payments crisis. The finance minister at that time, Mr. Yashwant Sinha, cut expenditure by 10% across all ministries. He also hiked duties and restrictions on spending were imposed on all government departments. The pressure to approach IMF was growing within the government, but in return, India had to open up its economy. But even on the brink of the biggest crisis that the country had faced, change was not on the agenda. It didn't matter that the existing economic model was crumbling. It didn't matter that the country was being pushed towards bankruptcy. It didn't matter that the world was changing and that India was getting left behind. 
The status quo was important for politicians to make money with bribes and reform was a threat to them. No Indian government ever admits to talking to the IMF or the World Bank till it is undeniable. Solutions like freezing NRI accounts to use it for paying debt or defaulting like the Latin American countries or mortgaging gold to Swiss bank to raise money were some options provided by top politicians in India. Golden India is considered holy and auspicious. Mortgaging gold was bound to be met with criticism. Nevertheless, the government decided to pledge 67 tons of gold to raise around 400 million dollars from the banks in London. Criticism was okay, but India's politicians were stubborn with continuing the license permit quota raj which gave them a safe haven to earn money and which is why IMF was always considered the last option. India bought itself a little time to deal with the crisis in the economy but a disaster struck on the political front. On 21st May Rajiv Gandhi while campaigning in Sri Perambattur near Chennai was assassinated. With the new government formed under Narasimha Rao the finance minister Manmohan Singh adopted the new economic policy to bring India out of this crisis. It was the biggest transformation in Indian history. Import restrictions of as much as 400% were completely removed which brought new growth in our industries. Import licensing was abolished, foreign investors were allowed, disinvestment took place, license raj finally came to an end and domestic market was free to do business. The rupee was devalued in two tranches, one by 9% and the next by 11%. Manmohan Singh in his speech in 1991 in the parliament spoke these powerful words No power on earth can stop an idea whose time has come and I suggest to this august house that the emergence of India as a major economic power of the world is one such idea India is now awake let the whole world hear India shall prevail India shall overcome With that spirit we come to the end of this episode. It's been 30 years since India approached the IMF for help. The Indian GDP rose from 266 billion dollars in 1991 to 3 trillion dollars in 2019, which is almost a 1100% increase. This growth could have been possible as early as 30 years back. But don't get me wrong self-reliance and a strong public sector was extremely important to bring India to the growth trajectory the only problem was that the government was doing way too much and everything by itself india still has a long way to go and i'm sure it will go and achieve great heights with that it's a wrap of today's episode of what actually happened thanks for listening and stay tuned